Hi, I'm Dr. George Stolforis, and welcome to Little Unnecessary, Australia's premier podcast series on the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Brought to you by the Summer Foundation. But before we go any further, please do me a favor and hit the like button, subscribe to the channel, and select the notification bell so you can be notified of future episodes. On today's episode, we're joined by the Minister, Bill Shorten, to understand what the budget announcements will mean for people with disabilities and our families. Is there a cap on the NDIS? Will our funding packages be cut? And will it be harder to get onto the NDIS? I will be asking these questions and more. Check it out. Hi, Bill. Welcome to the show. Great to be back, Dr. George. How are you? I'm very well. I'm excited to talk to you about the budget. Great. Bill, the current growth in the NDIS is around 40% every year, but the budget says that you will cut the growth to under 8% by July 2026. How will that impact on the lives of people with disabilities and our families? What the Prime Minister, or what the Treasurer said last night is the starting point for our conversation about what was quite an exciting budget set of announcements. The NDIS is here to stay under Labor. We want to make sure that every dollar is getting through to the person or the people for whom the scheme was designed. It's changing lives. Um, what we all agree on, though, and, you know, I've spent four years now in this iteration, as well as when we started the NDIS back in the day, what we all agree is that whilst the scheme is having a beneficial impact and changing lots of lives, uh, it could also be run better. And what we believe is that with the sensible reforms which we co-design with people with disability, by talking to the agency, the board, Kurt Fernley, and talking to the review which we've set up, that we think that through a better functioning scheme, that that will actually moderate some of the growth of the scheme. So it's not about individual people or individual plans. It is about making sure the scheme works in the best interests of people with disability. You know, we all know some of the stupidities that we deal with which really frustrate people, like the annual plan where you've got to go and reprove you still have a disability or um, unethical behaviour by some service providers, price gouging or um, providing services which the person wasn't part of what the person on the plan wanted. And we've got to stamp out some of the crooks. We've got to get other systems to step up and help Australians with disability because the NDIS was never meant for all people with a disability. And if we do all the stuff which, frankly, people have been stopping me in the street talking to me about, that we're seeing in the review, that the advocates tell me, then I actually think we can get to about an 8% growth target. But I want to stress here, George, this is a really important point, and you pointed this out to me last week. It's a target, not a cap. I'll repeat that. It's a target, not a cap. If for whatever reason uh, the growth is higher than that, well, it's still a demand-driven system. But you and I both know that there are things and aspects of the current NDIS where either people are treated uh, unempathetically by an inhumane bureaucracy or 
they're not treated appropriately by some service providers and instead are treated as cash cows. But what's the difference between a target and a cap? A target is a forecast of what we think the scheme will be costing in terms of growth uh, in the medium term. So we forecast what we'd like inflation to be, or we forecast what we think unemployment will be in a budget, and we're forecasting what we think the scheme will rise annually so we can make a declaration in the budget, a forecast for people to read, based upon the changes which we hope to make in the next three years slowly, sensibly, intelligently work through with people with disability. Plus, you know, we've got other good things to look forward to with the review as well. So, for people who are listening and who are worried that their plans will be cut, what do they have to say? None of the decisions that have been made so far go towards determining the future of an individual's plan. People's plans Frankly, I want to be better treated. 70% of the scheme has an annual plan. And it's a, that's a very stressful, anxiety-raising period. It also just focuses everyone on just getting the money, spending the money. They're making sure that there's nothing left to spend, so you get the same plan the following year. It's pretty crude and unsophisticated how the planning process is done. I think in the case of some people, we can go for longer plans where there's predictability, there's certainty, where the agency doesn't sit down and sort of make you fill out countless paperwork on a very repeated basis, but rather talks to people about what are the outcomes they want, what are their dreams, what are their hopes, and how can we get people to engage in their communities and their world without having to constantly be doing dealing with an agency where you don't feel they understand what you're talking about. Yeah, I think that's really important. So people also be wondering, will it be harder to get onto the NDIS? No, it's, this is not about um, making it um, harder per se, so that's not the issue. The issue is that when you have a target or a forecast and we can get to that sort of range of growth, what that means is that we, I think, actually create more credibility for the scheme. See. People are aware that they love the scheme, but they're also aware when you scratch the surface, they think there are individual aspects, not of their own plan in particular, but just of the disability world where people think, oh, this service provider's not doing the right thing, or, you know, we've got to give more control and make the system more transparent and better for the participant. The scheme wasn't designed to serve the first, first interests of service providers or the agency. The scheme exists to serve the first interests of the people on the scheme, the participants. And I've just, I'm actually on the sunny side of optimistic that if we just use a lot more common sense, if we have longer term vision about people's plans, if we stamp out unethical behaviour, if we tackle some of the spiralling costs that people with disability get charged, and first and foremost, if we make the agency better, more specialised, so that you don't feel you're explaining a story to someone who doesn't understand you. Uh, if we get the states to start reinvesting in disability inclusion uh, outside of the scheme, and if we make sure that the supported independent living work is uh, achieving the promise that it's meant to do and not putting people in inappropriate housing, yeah, I'm confident that we can, the scheme keeps growing, but it doesn't necessarily have to grow at 14%. So you're still committed? to an uncapped and demand of an NDIS? 
I am 100% committed to a demand-driven, uncapped scheme. Thanks, Bill. That's good. That's very reassuring. I mean, I saw, I see a couple of um, the other politicians in the Greens Party saying somehow that this is some massive cut. That's just rubbish. My view is that the scheme can be run better. My view is that if we run the scheme better, it probably won't grow quite as fast as it's growing, although it'll still grow every year. Um, and people who say that you can't touch the scheme or are trying to talk about improving it are actually selling participants short. People with disability don't want to be treated as stupid. They don't want to be treated like they're an easy mark to be ripped off. People with disability care very much about the quality of outcomes in their lives. And I just want the system to respect that, not to just sort of business as usual, just let everyone sort of clip the ticket along the way. Absolutely. In the, in the budget there was a target around younger people living in aged care and you, you, it references a target that says that no young person will be living in aged care by 2025. Can yeah. we, I want to be really clear, is this your government's commitment? It is absolutely the target which we've signed up to, uh, but it's going to take some work. On one hand, we've got to make sure there are options for people not to be moved into residential aged care to begin with, and then we've got to keep working with people who are still in residential aged care to make them actually believe their options. Quite a lot of people have moved out. You know, it's, it's quite a lot of the targets being accomplished. But there's still a group of people who I suspect because they don't believe there's anything else other than residential aged care. They and their families opt for residential aged care. And I want to go back and have the conversation with these people and say there are real choices. Okay. But in the meantime, I've got to respect that if you have an anxiety in your family, that you don't think there's anything else out there, I think it's on the system to demonstrate there is, not just tell people to ignore their own anxieties. I was looking at some recent data. 500 young people went into aged care last year. And the data also showed that uh, you, if you went in, that you were 90% likely to die before you got mm. out. What are your thoughts on that statistic? We've... Listen, there's a challenge which the NDIS can't alone fix. Mm. The reality is we need more social housing. I'd encourage the senators currently blocking the Social Housing Future Fund or the Housing Future Fund, that's the Liberals and the Greens, to change their mind because we just need to better supply our housing. Um, we can make do what we can to make the system and the red tape less cumbersome as we have with hospital discharge, but there is a blockage in terms of appropriate housing and we've just got to keep... I've got to get the states to do more as well. The NDIs can't solve every problem for disability, and we've got to get other people to step up and join the argument. Yeah, I think it's definitely do. It's definitely have a whole of government issues, isn't it? Uh, exactly, and that's our challenge. Yeah. I thought that there was actually $7.3 million in the budget for um, addressing the issue. It talked about mm. his being provided education, social workers, and, and that kind of thing. But we need to do more, don't we? Yeah, there's no question. And, uh, yeah, there's no question. And I think if we run the agency better, 
I think if we uh, really try and understand how supported independent livings work and how we get people in the best options, I think we can certainly move the dial. Let's definitely work on that, Bill, and let's, let's, let's stick to that commitment, hey? Yeah, but I'm also concerned that I think some people with disabilities are in very vulnerable housing situations, uh, and I do worry that there are some who are being exploited by some service providers, and that we shouldn't have to be having this conversation in 2023. But I do think, so there's a housing challenge, there's NDIS working better challenge, there's giving people options, but there's also making sure that where people are in, currently in uh, housing arrangements with support independent living, that they're not getting treated badly. Absolutely. You announced 10 reforms. Uh, yeah. You're injecting $750 million into the agency. Uh, a lot mm. of the reforms that you've announced made a lot of sense, and they're definitely being calling for for a while. There were two, however, that I wasn't entirely clear about, and that a lot of people have been asking me about. The first mm -hmm. one, and I'd like you to explain it for us, is the filing of blended payments. Yeah. Well, there's two areas where we think that we want to pay on outcomes, not just um, on inputs. Supported our school leaver employment services. I think that we could look at for the person who's the school leaver, we can look at the people providing these services and give them a payment for an outcome rather than just inputs to contributing towards it. What really matters in a school leaver employment service is a job. And I want to make sure that the money which we're allocating for this for the participant, they're actually getting an outcome. Uh, so I think that's an area where we could do. The other area is actually young people in residential aged care. Uh -huh. That what we've got to do is if we're going to support service providers, I want them to pay. I want them to actually get an outcome for a person. Yeah. So it's paying on outcomes, uh, and I think that'll just focus uh, the service provider in those two areas: school leaver and young people in residential aged care. That people participants need an outcome, not just having their, you know, a, a process where their hand is held. They actually need an outcome. Yeah, and that's what the endorsement is about, it's about outcomes. It's about outcomes. A lot of, so that's, that's all it means. It's nothing more or nothing less than that. I think anyone, when they understand the detail, oh, maybe we should be paying for outcomes for school leavers, getting employment, people go, well, that makes sense, I think. Yeah. Uh, paying for outcomes to get people out of inappropriate residential aged care, that makes sense too. Yeah. Um, so I, I hope that clears that up. Yeah, the other one was around... And it's a trial. I should also oh. stress it's a trial. Everything will be done with co-design, with uh, the, you know, the advisory council, with the peaks, talking to people. Look, it has to be done with people. Absolutely. The second one was in reference to preferred provider arrangements. Yeah, 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 that's this another is, one that yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. The language is not clear. What I want to do is when I look at assistive technology products and um, associated services, if there are providers who are providing items which are not extortionate in price, then I want them to be the preferred provider. 
Uh, this is just a straightforward measure to say that where people are buying services and there's a great variation in price because some AT providers are charging an arm and a leg and a, you know and your and your firstborn child just to access it and the reality is there's other providers who are just charging a fair price we want to reward the fair price people and um, the the pirates can go and sail their ship somewhere else and stop hassling us I like the idea of having the ability to choose that preferred provider but what people be forced well, I'm to, uh, this is for assistive technology, mm. and you know these are sort of items, not even um, uh, therapy or treatment or hours of labour. I think we want to just uh, see what we can do to put downward pressure on price inflation for products that people with disability have to buy, like a toothpaste holder or uh, sanitary products or uh, chairs, bath ch shower chairs. Mm. So. I just think there's too much price variation and people with disability in some cases are being exploited and where we've got people doing the right thing, that's where we want to have a preferred provider. Interesting. Look forward to hearing more about that. Of the other yeah. eight reforms, Bill, which ones are mm. you most excited about? Or which are your biggest priorities? I'm excited about the measures which create predictability in the relationship between the participant and the scheme predictability, consistency, no surprises. So measures which go to that are the ones which make me feel best. Because the aim of the scheme wasn't just to be a payment system. The aim was that people who've got, you know, permanent and severe impairments can get a package of money to be able to let them fulfill the opportunities of living in this country and what this lucky country has to offer. And so what I want to do is get our system focused on what are the outcomes people want, not them having to just deal with a sort of mindless red tape, annual six-monthly bu bureaucracy. So I think that if we invest in the capability of the agency, if we uh, listen to people with disability and start taking some of the needless BS that the system puts in front of them and treat people humanely rather than as a sort of a unit or a cost, uh, as a nuisance. I just think predictability, if we can, what people want in my opinion is predictability and certainty, clarity. When there's a decision, they get, they understand why a decision's been made. They might not always agree with every decision, but they can see why it's made. It's not anonymous, it's not secret. So transparency, predictability, no surprises. I'd really love the idea that when you ring the agency, you might get the same person twice in a row. That would be just that, That's all that culture of no surprises. So you can just get on and live your life. That, that this, the dealing with the agency doesn't become a second full-time job. The number one issue that I see is communication and yeah. consistency in communication and knowing that you will get an answer to a question and that question will be and the, the answer, right answer. And the answers don't jump yeah, around. that's right. I, I really... I really just want to go back to something which you said early. Um, I'm completely signed up to demand-driven. Having a target of forecast growth, when you can see how we get to it for the reforms we put in the next three years, that provides certainty as well. One of the things undermining confidence in the scheme is when the 
projected growth for the scheme jumps around. So I just say to people who say, oh, it should be 14% or 16%, we can't know the future. But if we have a predictable growth rate of growth, which we try to get to, that'll just add certainty. And it just means that the scheme's set up, it's mature, people are getting a sort of, um, you're not going to make 100% of people 100% happy all the time, but just they know the rules and they know where they're going and they can just get on with their lives and use these packages to enable them not to weigh them down. And it's an investment in our lives. It's an investment. Absolutely. The Treasurer said today at the National Press Club, the motivation for the reforms that we're making is about making the scheme the best it can be for current participants and future generations. As a by that's what he said. Now, I think as a byproduct, if the schemes run better and we chase out the scallywags and we um, have consistency, certainty, longer term, we understand how we set up proper housing arrangements and we get some of the other mainstream departments to start thinking about disability inclusion, I do think that the rate of growth for the scheme will ease, but it's there and we want to make this scheme here to stay and I want to make it foolproof. How are you working with the disability community to implement the reforms, Bill? Well, the review's crucial. It's well-funded. There's people with disability. They're doing a lot of consultation. I think the agency under the new leadership of Kurt as chair and uh, Rebecca Falkium and her senior exec team, I just think they're just, frankly, more professional and a bit more empathetic. Um, I do as many meetings as I can, as much listening as possible. Most of the peaks have met with me several times, as you know. I'm lucky in that I did this job for three years in opposition. And, of course, I was around when we are getting the scheme going. So people know that we'll, we'll listen to them. I don't expect everyone to agree with everything. But for me, whatever we're talking about, it's just the reflection of the lived experience of people in the scheme and people with disability generally. Well, I've personally found this a very reassuring conversation. And I hope that our listeners have too. Yeah. Thank you for your time. Any, any final words, Bill? I haven't changed. I'm as committed to the scheme now as I was 15 years ago and 10 years ago and five years ago, and I haven't changed. And I feel that within the government, the uh, fact that we are all saying the scheme is here to stay, that we want to make sure that every dollar gets through to the people for whom the scheme was designed, uh, that is great, and hopefully we can show a path where the public confidence in the scheme increases, but even more importantly, the people in the scheme feel that their interests are put first. Thanks for being champion for us in the government bill. We do appreciate it. No, I've, I've always got your back. It's important to me. And thanks for the time. All right, ciao. Bye. That's all we have time for on today's episode reasonable and necessary. We love your feedback, so please hit the like button and share your thoughts with us in the comment section below. Thanks for listening and until next time, stay well and reasonable.